Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. So why is revenue operations so complex? When I first met Dharmesh Singh, the CEO and co-founder at Fullcast back in 2019, we had a really great discussion about the complexities and the interdependencies of operations. Each piece of the overall revenue operations framework is highly dependent on another, and one change can easily trigger a domino effect of changes. So we all know we need a strong infrastructure of really well-defined processes for repeatability and for scale. But with the fast-paced environment where change is constant, agility and flexibility is also incredibly important. And these things are almost contrary to one another, which is this constant struggle for revenue operations. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Darmesh and I discuss what revenue leaders, especially revenue operations leaders, should be thinking about and what they should be doing to manage this complexity and try to keep these things in balance while also trying to balance the age-old struggle of the strategic versus the tactical. So excited to be here today with Dharmesh Singh, the CEO and co-founder of Fullcast. For those of you who may not be familiar with Fullcast, Fullcast is an end-to-end platform built for revenue operations that brings together both sales strategy and sales execution. So welcome, Dharmesh, and thank you for joining me. I am excited to learn more about your journey and, of course, talk about our favorite topic or my favorite topic, revenue operations. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about your background. I mean, you just have such an interesting and really comprehensive background. I mean, in addition to having, you know, an MBA, you also have a degree in engineering, engineering, electronics, and communication, which that's actually a lot to unpack there. You spent, you know, 16 years at Microsoft, right, in a variety of different roles. And I saw that you spent time at Salesforce as well. So maybe before we talk about Fullcast and what you're doing now, can you share maybe more about your backstory and sort of your career journey? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It's a path that evolved organically. I've not really given much thought. Yeah, but I did do my basic degrees in engineering and electronics because I didn't actually want to write code. Uh, <laughs> I, I, so I thought like more broader. It's it's what uh, in the US it's called electrical engineering and in India it's called electronics and communication. Okay. I grew up there and then I 
started working in Singapore. And then, yeah, and I was, I ran into someone that I met, met in Vietnam and we started a little venture in Vietnam before I joined Microsoft in Singapore. And then that was a 16 year ride, you know, that took me from Singapore to New York to Seattle. And it, it is all around, you know, I started my, my, my career at Microsoft in pre-sales consulting and ended up in engineering and running operations for what we now call Office 365. So I joined Office 365 and it was an idea on paper in 2007. We didn't have a lot of SaaS there. And then we kind of built it up from the ground up. Again, then when we mainstreamed it into Office, that's when I left, left went to Salesforce and was part of the go-to-market auto- automation team. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my, my partner at Fullcast. I met him at sale at Microsoft and we both ended up at Salesforce. He actually pulled me over to Salesforce. He was running the G4G team or the sales global sales operations functions. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we both, I, and I was running operations at Microsoft. And so we had kind of paths that crossed over for both of us. And then we ended up at Salesforce and we looked at what, how things would be being done at Salesforce. And then we said that perhaps there's a way for us to go out and build something that we, we might enjoy versus, you know, um, doing what we were doing at Salesforce. So, I love <laughs> yeah, that. that's how Fullcast was born. Yeah, that's amazing. I think, you know, just of having seen such a long journey at Microsoft and seeing the inner workings of Salesforce from an operations perspective, I'm sure there's a lot of perspective that you can share. So let's talk about Fullcast. So I, oftentimes when I'm talking to different founders, always find that, you know, a lot of times businesses are started, you know, when they're trying to solve a problem right? Or they see some kind of challenge, or maybe there's some kind of epiphany type of, you know, aha moment. So how did I guess the idea for Fullcast start? And what was that original vision for the company? Yeah. So like I said, I joined Salesforce in February, 2013. That is right at the beginning of Salesforce's fiscal year start. Mm -hmm. And I think the first day, first week when I joined over there after after our boot camp and all, Bala told me, don't touch anything. I'm like, (laughs) why, why, what happened? He says, well, we've got this thing called, we've got an IT freeze right now. Nobody can do anything in Salesforce. We have this process called G4G, go for growth. And so we, you know, we're going to, we're assigning territories and quotas to rep. And so we don't want to make any changes uh, because it'll mess things up. And I'm like, (laughs) it's definitely first. Everybody should already have that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. why are we still doing this? Said, no, 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 we still have, we are behind. We ran the process from August and we saw, so I got familiar with the process of Bala and it was almost April, middle of April, when he first were able to give territories and quotas. Oh, wow. And to me, that was shocking because I was coming from Microsoft with that, that, that was still, did not have a pure SaaS model. So we were doing six month planning cycles. But it was okay because it has a it had a very enterprise enterprise agreement driven sales model. So you know you make the deal. Mm-hmm. CRM was your SaaS play, and so for us not to have quotas and territories for almost one quarter mm-hmm. was like, how do we how do we we, we got to do better? So we looked at what are our options and how we are doing stuff, and we looked at Anaplan. Uh, and at that time was going to charge us $1.5 million dollars in license <laughs> revenue and three million dollars in Deloitte, and you were going to do tell them to do everything ourselves. And we, basically, Delight was going to build our models and we like, this is nonsense. We went back to Google Sheets. Um, but that's when you started thinking, there's got to be a better way. I mean, you're, you're in the 21st century, we're doing 1,500 <laughs> spreadsheets across 400 <laughs> managers going back. We had a team in 40 in Costa Rica just managing, you know, moves, move requests coming in. Oh, wow. And, you know, changes. And so 
I was quite frustrated. I told Bala, hey, you know, we can do better. We can go out and build. Then it took us about two years to really figure out what we wanted to build because the scope of the problem is huge. And one of the decisions we had to take was, are we going to fill a feature or a platform? And we took a platform approach. And then, then yeah, that, that's when we decided to go out and go build Fullcast yeah. from scratch to really serve strategy. Because we like, like the thing that was also, also happening at that time was we had seen Marketo. Outreach had just started in 2014. And, you know, sales sources there. And we were like, okay, there's demand gen. There's SDR work that's been automated to outreach. There is Salesforce. Clary had also actually just started to for looking at the forecasting side of the house. Uh, but behind that, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. There was just people, code, work with IT, Excel spreadsheets. There was no platform. I mean, like, there is an opportunity for us to really build a platform for strategy and operations teams. I love that. I love that. So, yeah, yeah so. I love that. Definitely. Because I remember when we first met and we were just talking about this, it was 2019. So it's like three years ago. You know, we had a really great yeah. discussion about just the complexities and the interdependencies of operations. And you just touched on this a little bit, but I think, you know, each piece of the overall sort of revenue operations framework is highly dependent, right, on another. And that one change can easily yeah. trigger sort of this dominant domino effect of changes and managing that is incredibly, you know, complex. So maybe can you talk a little bit more about this complexity and maybe what you're seeing companies really doing right and what are some of the things that they're doing wrong when it comes to managing this? Yeah. So the complexity, so at the highest level, there are two elements, right? No matter what size of the company you have. There is a strategy element. You build a go-to-market strategy. Who's my ICP? You know, how are we going to uh, how, how how are we going to go after them? And then we go after it, right? So there's the strategy part and there's the execution part. When you're small, you know, just you know, with three or four people, sales team and one marketing guy, and you, know, you can sit around in a room and you can talk. Mm-hmm. There is a there's a lot less interdependencies, right? They're like five guys. I sit next. We all sit next to each other. A lead came in. We can talk. Hey, there's a lead come in. Someone, someone, go ahead and take care of it. There's a marketing person. We can talk to them. But as the company grows, the more players get in the mix. The interdependencies get a lot more complex. Right. So as you think about it, like the first thing people will start saying, "Oh, my routing engine is broken. Right? And I need to get my leads to the right person." And somebody says, "I have forecasting is broken." I, I, because earlier it was very good. I was just trying to pipe. I could see in a pipeline that I can. We can all say, "Hey, this deal is going to close. We have a good sense." That, but those things come, you know, get more and more complex. And as the company grows, that complexity between strategy and keeping the execution aligned just gets more and more complex. There are a lot many things that happen, right? And uh, what we've seen is that companies that really excel are those that can keep the strategy aligned to execution and then keep the things changing, right? So execution is essentially your, it's, it's a feedback loop that comes in. Okay, now let's say, you know, like maybe two years ago when COVID hit, right? Suddenly there's COVID hit, like what do we do? Our go-to-market has to evolve or perhaps some industry will not target. We got to re, reorient the ship. When you're small and nimble, you can quickly decide that. But when you're a larger organization, it takes time, right? right? And so... The, so when you think about the complexities, it's driven by the, that delta, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, size of the company, the number of people, the complexities of the go-to-market motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what I've seen actually companies do not so well is they look at each of those interdependencies as piecemeal. Mm-hmm. 
fine. So I might think I'm solving a forecasting problem. I might, but I'm not even thinking of it as a pipeline management problem or there's a data problem, mm -hmm. right? Manager will suddenly say, well, what happened to my pipeline? Well, your pipeline is still the pipeline, but you know what? We moved this person from you to another person out there mm -hmm. and now it shows up under the new manager, right? Or the opportunities have moved, right? And just, they, they, it's a it's a systems problem, but it's viewed as a linear point problem. Mm -hmm. And ops is generally not resourced appropriately. <laughs> and so they, they are essentially caught up in this, you know, like firefighting mode. And so like even the best guys, they're like, we know it's broken, but I'll deal with it tomorrow. <laughs> my, I, I need to take Guy who's yelling and screaming right now. <laughs> we all go to the sales person's problem, mm -hmm. not understanding that that actually the the prop the the, the 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 thing that happens is most sales reps leave the company not because they couldn't make the money or, or, or they're, they're sensitive to the ops issues that are they're like ah oh, they moved my accounts or they moved my territory <laughs> I didn't get yeah. yeah. it was not transparent I couldn't make my money and it's just it's just like a chicken and egg situation. And what I've seen is like ops leaders who've taken a systems approach, they do a lot better, yes. right? But but that takes maturity. It takes being able to partner with the CRO at the right level to really drive home the message that, hey, you know, this is not a whack-a-mole problem. <laughs> you know, you're not solving, uh, you, you know, just one piece, yeah. right? People will say, well, my reps are leaving. And I'll give you an example. My reps are, reps are leaving because they can they didn't get paid on time. Mm -hmm. So we got to have a EQ system in place and that'll magically solve the problem. And I'm like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, your compensation is tied to the quota that you gave them. Did you give them the right quota? Did they have the right batch? Yep. Did you give the best guy the best territory? Or <laughs> you had a guy who was a low performer, but he's got a great territory. He's going he's gonna to make money anyways, right? And so they're not, they, I think that those things take time to unpack. And we are in this such a short, sprint that everybody just wants to solve for the immediate thing and just like they're like i'll deal with this later i might not even be around yeah 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 i love that i love that i love that you touched on so many different things there around you know resource you know we're not resource the allocation is not you know properly staffed or adequately staffed and, and you know trying to do the firefighting and just dealing with the complexity and and there is I, I when i was laughing when you were saying that you know oftentimes you're like i know there's a problem but i can't get to that right now i'm going to get to that later right and I guess piggybacking on that, you know, I think we all know that we need that strong infrastructure, right? We need well-defined processes in order to scale and be repeatable. But with, you know, just this fast-paced environment, right, change is constant. And so the ability to be agile, be flexible is incredibly important. Right. To your point earlier about, you know, when you make one change, it's like it has this effect across the different teams and folks aren't focused in on the right things. So all of these things are, you know, kind of building infrastructure to be repeatable and scalable versus, OK, change is constant. We have to be agile and flexible. It's almost like contrary right to each other which is sort of this constant struggle for revenue operations so what are some of the you know the considerations you think are really critical for revenue leaders to think about or maybe to implement when they're trying to keep these things in balance yeah i think my philosophy is is um, you know abraham lincoln you know, somebody has quoted right if you ask me give me 10 minutes to cut a tree I'll, I'll spend six to seven minutes sharpening the saw before i go cut the tree right was just i'm going to take it and just go start cutting it. it'll probably take me 20 minutes because my saw, <laughs> saw is not sharp 
there are two, two things that happen. One is there is no proper school or discipline for RevOps. So a lot of people are learning this thing on the, on the fly, on the job, and they're only as good as the last experience. Right. And as a CRO, as a leader, I think it's super important to look at the experience and the background of the people that's coming into the role. Mm-hmm. Because what we've seen is, um, like, we've got customers, you know, who came from companies like LinkedIn and other places, right? Even Salesforce, they moved around and they've gone to smaller companies. They have seen the movie, what happens at yeah. scale. They can, and they anticipate, okay, these are the kind of things you dealt with. And I do not want to deal with this <laughs> yeah. game. Right. They are taking more of a systems lens. There are others who have who have grown with the company. So they come in, the company maybe you know, 20, 30 reps, and now there are 50 yep. or 80 reps. They have never experienced those yes. problems. So they don't know what to expect. And so you can keep telling them that, oh, you will run into this or run. Well, they have not never run into it. They don't know what it means, right? And... Uh, they they just look at each other and they're learning on the fly. So they're like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, listen to the latest, go read up a white paper or a blog post. And I'll think, you know, I'll hear from my friends. But there's that lack of, of experience. And I think, you know, what what you're doing through the RevOps stuff, that's that's mm-hmm. needed. Like I just feel there is, needs, there is no code for revenue operations, sales strategy yeah. piece. Sales strategy is never talked about. Right. But a lot of the ops functions don't think of sales strategy. Actually, Sales strategy does not exist at its own discipline in a smaller company. It's only when a company becomes a certain size, you'll have a sales mm-hmm. strategy team now because the work has become so much that you need a dedicated mm-hmm. team, right? So as a CRO, I think it's really important to understand that strategy drives execution. Yep. And execution has to partner with strategy as a feedback loop. And it's a CRO's job at that, at that time to, to really say, you know, how is my strategy getting mm-hmm. actualized? Not 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 in bits and pieces, not in bits and pieces, but I want to have a plan. I can execute in steps, mm-hmm. totally fine. Time is of the essence. So the execution piece is something that we have to take slow chunks and say, like, what is it that 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 right. matters today? But the plan has to be thought through because you, the, the only real thing in every organization is the go-to-market is going to evolve. <laughs> the way you route leads will not change, mm-hmm. right? The way you solve for account data will not change. The way you might run a pipeline reporting will not change. But the people involved in who's, who were involved in the pipeline report, your, your yep. segments might change. You know, who gets the routed, that, that is constantly changing and so you what you're what you have to really think about is no i'm mm-hmm. building that capability but that capability has to be part of the overall process not on its own because then i'm just solving for that capability like I, i'll pick in, you know, one a, a routing tool that i've seen uh, and people will complain my routing tool is not working i'm like no the routing tool is actually working most of the routing tools that they've, they've been well thought yep. of well, very well designed what is actually happening is good market has changed and you can't your routing tool cannot keep pace with all the changes. So till then you're either depending on IT that takes too long to do it, or managers are doing routing, and you know, managers don't know better. And they'll just say, Oh, routing sucks. 
No, I think that's a great example, right? Because it's oftentimes, and it's like, oh, the system's not working. The lead routing is like a perfect example. I think that comes up quite a bit, right? Oh, it's broken. And then they say, oh, the leads aren't, you know, we're not getting the right leads. And, yeah. But they don't understand that, hey, their processes, you know, their strategy has changed. So the process and the systems have to evolve, right, with that change. And I love the fact that you're always talking about strategy and execution yeah. because, yeah. you know, every time I'm sharing anything or talking or through different classes and stuff, I'm all you know, about tying back to the strategy strategy, right? Like tie back to the strategy, everything you do, the technology, the processes, the prioritization of those things, everything needs to tie back to the strategy. Like what are we trying to do? And I guess kind of feeding into that prioritization and some of that, that balancing of strategic with tactical, right? I think RevOps professionals, if you talk to them, they're constantly talking about that struggle, right? To balance the ability to try to be strategic while managing all of the tactical day-to-day -day operational needs of the business. And how to manage this is something, like I've been asked quite a yep. bit, right? And I've shared quite a bit of advice also, but I, you know, I think you have a chance to really see this live, right? In your work with RevOps leaders and RevOps teams. So what advice, I guess, yep. do you have for RevOps folks who want to stop being that fight, firefighter, right? And start to be able to step back and try to be more proactive. Yeah, uh, so I'll give them a very simple framework and I tell that to even to our own team, right? At the end of the day, RevOps, sales ops, all of us, we, we are there mm -hmm. to serve the salespeople, right? We were created primarily to take, take non-selling activities from them. So if you understand that, then the framework is pretty simple. You got to break down everything that they do into two buckets, mm -hmm. a runtime bucket and a one-time bucket. Those that are one-time bucket, it's okay to postpone them and say, you know what, I'll do deal with this. It might be once a year, maybe once in mm -hmm. six months, I'll deal with it. I've planned for it. It's a runtime problems that, that yeah. fight you, right? And you really, really need to think about how fast you can automate it, right? Because you, mm -hmm. that runtime will, will bury you. Right, it you, you know, the company will grow from twenty to eighty reps, and they're not building you know your ops team right. to go from <laughs> five to ten. No, that's not happening. You still got to do the same thing, and it's those runtime things yes. that that'll bury you. The one time, all the one time stuff is the strategic stuff that needs to happen, but that takes time. You need you need time to, to spend time to think about it because you're getting that once a year, once a year, or once in a quarter breather to say, I want to go back to my, I'm helping my mm -hmm. CRO prepare, prepare for the board meeting. So that board meeting happens maybe once a quarter and you're going to ask them, this is how we're performing. This is how we're going to change. In order to do that, you need time. Yeah. You need to time to spend. The only way you're going to get the time okay. is if you free yourself from all the runtime work. Right? So I always tell, break them down and identify all the things. And like I said, I put routing as a category category one runtime issue that needs to be solved when a company is smaller. When a company becomes a little bigger, now you have a question of territories. Now it's about territory management and then it's account ownerships and assignments. How mm -hmm. are we thinking through of all those problems and say, these are all my runtime issues and I'm going to solve for them and get free myself. You know, so I, that, that needs yep. to be automated first so I can spend time on the one-time activities. 
Yep. Yep. I love that. I love that. I think that's right. You know, when I talk about RevOps, you know, we always talk about data and insights, right? Quite a bit, especially in the context of, you know, being able to understand your business, be able to plan better. And then, you know, with the pandemic in the last few years, right, being able to pivot, <laughs> right, being able to pivot where you need to. And, you know, Fullcast really offers the the ability for leaders to, you know, keep that finger on the pulse of your business, right? And manage and track what's changed. So can you talk a little bit maybe about that? I think, you know, from your perspective, you know, what are some of those things that go to market leaders should be focused on when it comes to data and insights and managing the change, right? Amongst their business. Yeah, I think, so we had a white paper that we had put together and it was driven through data. And what we had was, in, uh, uh, like, if you think of the core objects in CRM, right? Leads, contacts, opportunities, accounts. Mm-hmm. Leads and contacts are extremely volatile. Opportunities are less so, yes. accounts the least, right? And you're going to have that lens and say, okay, if they are the most volatile ones, where can I get control? And so if you're going back to the go-to-market, the strategy side, what's really stable is accounts, right? So first and foremost, mm-hmm. from a data perspective, I, you know, whether it is for account assignments, whether it's for routing purposes, whether all those things that, that touch a rep, getting a handle on account data is super important. And the way yeah. RevOps leaders kind of, I mean, first the mistakes they make, we buy lists from every place, right? I've done that in a small world, right? Marketing's got a list, sales has got a list, the CEO's got his own list, and we're putting a bunch of accounts and everybody, <laughs> nobody knows, you know, what is the truth and the nature of the account, right? Is it the customer, is it a prospect, is it in my strike zone or not in my strike zone? Just, I've got the universe there. <laughs> Getting a good handle on that is super important because that impacts how you carve territories, that impacts the rep directly in, in their confidence to make the number because they want to know, do I have a fair patch and you know who's in the patch and do, do we have duplicate accounts and all that stuff, right? So yeah. getting a lens on duplicate accounts is super important. It's getting a lens on account hierarchies is really, really important. And what happens with account hierarchies is people just like, oh, I just need a, I, I, we have no notion of account hierarchy. And I said, no. Your strategy guys want to know the share of wallet in a particular account. Your go-to-market teams really don't mm-hmm. care. They might they might say, I want to break these things up into multiple people. So accounts and then contacts, right? Those are the pieces that that need to get done. The other piece in data is is what we, we've kind of started, in, and we've heard this from our customers. This was not something that I was I, I came up with on my own. Was our own from our discussion was the notion of SLA on data, the data decays. And so are you mm-hmm. applying SLA on opportunities, on contacts, on accounts, and when was the last touch and driving those things so that you have clean data, right, to work with, right? And so my perspective with data and insights is it's, 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 a, it's a muscle that has to be built. And ops mm-hmm. leaders will always say, oh, yeah, my data is bad, but nobody actually does anything about it. They just assume <laughs> and they will, we'll live with it. Data is bad. And, you know, I'll have some intern who will come in once in a while and clean it. And, yeah, that can work. But, you know, whatever you do, yeah. in six months, it will be at ground zero again because you've not enforced policies that keep your data yep. clean. I think that is the part I, I would say the go-to-market leader should be really looking at policies that are on, on, on hierarchy, on dedupes, 
on on SLAs across across the entire go-to-market lifecycle to keep accounts clean. Accounts and contacts, you can get a handle of those two things. The others will still be better. Opportunity pipeline. I'm, I'm yeah. assuming if you're a good manager. You'll be keep keep you you will be keeping your opportunities clean and not stale. But that's part of Nifty's during pipeline reviews. Is like are we building up stale opportunities? But those are the two yeah. two things I would, I would always say that stress on. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I, the example of the intern. Oh, that's pain, pains me of seeing a one time cleanup because immediately when that person isn't even done yet, it's already your your data is starting to go bad. So yeah, and, and what happens SLA is you need, to, you, you need to invest in. So like one of the things that in Fullcast we've done and we've got, we've institutionalized this policy for all our customers called Flag for Review. And one of the things is it is is uh, over and above the policy that we run. Our belief is a person who actually knows what's really happening on the data side is the account owner. And as a yeah. CRO or the go-to-market ops leader, you need to in, involve the account owner and give them the responsibility for keeping their account clean. Now they know what's actually happening. They will tell you the employee count is right or what is you know all the different attributes. And so, flag yeah. for review yeah. is a process where they can just come in and say. I don't agree with this data point in this account. Boom, it comes in. You know, we take it on as a policy and we, we, we upload that in a policy so that next time an account gets created, these are the policies. But that helps people stay out of the bad data problem. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. So I've been on my soapbox probably for the last two and a half, almost three years or so being this champion for RevOps, right? And operations in general. I feel like in the past, you know, few years, we've really seen this rise of RevOps, right? Where everybody is talking about it. They understand that they need it, but they're trying to figure out how to implement it and actually maximize its benefits. You know, what are you seeing in terms of trends, I guess, and what predictions, if any, do you have for where RevOps is headed, you know, in the next, you know, six to 12 months? So it's an interesting question, actually, because I struggle, honestly, to debate between RevOps as a, the debate that I have is, is a RevOps a discipline or is a RevOps a marketing term? And what I mean by that is there is a lot of buzz around RevOps, but then you mm -hmm. see everybody branding themselves as RevOps. Have you got companies like, you know, like charge B billing companies, right? They're calling themselves RevOps, but they essentially do billing, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. And in, in, there's there are other companies that will do RevOps that they think purely just we are a forecasting tool or a routing tool or like mm -hmm. just like the tools. So there is, a, I think there is a, this, as you think about, you know, the phases of it, there's a storming, norming and performing. So we are right now in the storming phase of the RevOps world where everybody seems to be on RevOps, but nobody really has a clear yep. crisp definition of what exactly is RevOps <laughs> in their own yep. way to suit their own self. I think eventually as things start settling down, one of the questions that we will have to answer is, is RevOps, because RevOps has been around for a while, right? I mean, earlier it used mm -hmm. to be finance. You know, finance was driving revenue yep. and they had this thing called RevOps. Mm -hmm. It is because we had the CRO title, somebody said, well, CRO needs support and we call it RevOps. But CROs came from sales, so essentially it was sales ops. And we still mm -hmm. see that reflected in the sense that customer ops, the customer success team, they have their own ops team and marketing teams have their own ops team. And they mm -hmm. they still exist as separate marketing teams, but not, they. you know, I'm not sure whether people are calling them RevOps team or not. I've not heard, heard a customer success team telling calling itself as a RevOps team. They just say CS ops. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, I think there will be there over the next six to twelve months. You know, we will have, in my view, 
some more we need we will people will start having asking more questions and they will about around seeking clarity on what does revops mm-hmm. mean then now mm-hmm. that perhaps would see some sort of rationalization around organization because at, even if if i were to purely take the revops definition as people came out when it was then there should be mm-hmm. just one ops team we don't need to have a marketing ops cs yeah. ops just one one revops team That's that right. doesn't happen Yep. because yeah and it's hard to see that happen because the cs guy says i want my ops guy with me that's it right yeah yeah so, i think definitely we're seeing a lot of people who say they're rev ops but they're really just a portion of it right versus like right. in my my background it's like i have to go to market operations right which means end to end right when i had a rev ops team that, and more the rev that is a go to market yeah. operations to me more accurate definition or what it is and i think you know i would i would love to see revops become more like a go to market operations because go to market then i you you know there's a go to market strategy team there's a go to market ops team yep. together right but the revops as a title i think you know i think over the next 6 to 12 months i think people will start saying is it a marketing term or is it really a a a a, a discipline right because if it's discipline then yeah. it's essentially go to market op op it's not revenue operations because revenue operations historically has been a finance function actually yeah so i think in a lot of industries when you think about revops they think about sort of this billing you know quote to cash type of thing but in the yeah. saas world i mean at least in my roles as revops i've owned exactly that operations for marketing for sales for customer success services and support so it's really you know along you know really following that buyer's journey and the customer journey so yes. it's really truly end to end go to market funnel to like from market top operation. of funnel all the way Yeah, but very few companies have have embraced as what I'm saying. A lot of people are still taking the sales ops yes. piece and relabel relabel sales ops to rev ops, and they still have a marketing mm-hmm. ops and a CS ops sitting around them. Like, no, if you're rev ops, then yeah, or it should be truly rev ops. It should be end to end, exactly. End-to-end. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of folks who have sort of rev ops, and they're just like marketing and sales, or they're just sales and post sales, right? But really, to unlock really that benefit yeah. of having that. alignment and that rigor and all these processes and systems aligned including the data yeah. it's really having that holistic view but i think to your point it's like we're evolving that way because there's takes time to really build up the expertise right to have deep expertise in all areas of the funnel because you think about it, it takes right. years to build up your marketing ops it takes years to build up your sales ops so i do see a lot of folks who have a rev ops title but they've really only done one piece of the One, one piece. piece of the funnel, right? Yeah, versus kind of having the end to end. And that's why we joke about that there's only like maybe 20 or so of us in the, you know, in the world that actually have done end to end deeply, right? Yeah. And so, but I think that we'll start to see the rise of more and more yeah. of these folks more as more. they start exactly. to gain experience. That, yeah. And yeah. I'm hoping that you know that yeah. there will more of more of the filtering on signal to noise in the marketing term and the actual discipline of revops, yeah. right? Uh, that's that's yeah. the important part. Because like I can see how CPQ and Charge B or somebody might say we do rev ops and like yeah you do billing but yeah they do a portion of it yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I look at, you know, sort of what you're doing at Fullcast is really that end to end because you're really looking at all the different touch points, right? Across. And maybe less about, you know, maybe a lot of the demand gen and stuff, but lead routing feeds into it, right? Sort of the ICP, yeah. understanding the strategy and then feeding into execution, right? And I think that's yeah. where I think more and more operations professionals are looking for that cohesive end to end solution, right? So yeah, I think we'll definitely see a lot more of that. 
we are not a perfect fit for say a 10 or 20 person sales team because you got we are, i think we are we are a hammer look you know then when somebody just needs a little you know no, <laughs> goldsmith's hammer versus a blacksmith's hammer you got just got a, just got everything in it but if you're a company that's going from 20 to 40 and 40 to 60 just like growing really fast right mid market then you need yeah. a system in place and then full cash becomes attractive because what you're doing is you know, i have a platform i don't need to yep. go to my routing engine every six months update because guess what it's there it's part of the territory trade people change and it's just like it works seamlessly and you know mm-hmm. you can go all the way to you know five thousand reps and we got our largest customers got you know three thousand reps and they started at 200 yep. so it grows with the growth but yeah you have to think about it as a systems yeah, problem i love that I love that. So, well, as I think about the revenue engine and this podcast, I'm always hoping others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? And power that revenue engine. So I guess maybe perspective, you know, what are the top, you know, two or three things that you think all CEOs and revenue leaders should really be thinking about today that can really help accelerate growth? I think everyone should, revenue is everyone's problem. I mean, that's something that every CEO, CEOs need to embrace it is not a sales thing it's, it's or a marketing thing. It, it's sales, marketing, customer success, even product needs yep. to be gold on revenue. And the thing that I always, we have the same lens on our, on our team. There is one company, one goal, and marketing needs to deliver towards that goal. And so it's mm-hmm. not about just, oh, we, we generated so many MQLs. So the question is, so what? Did it generate, help us get deals? Uh, right revenue same with product any feature that you release you should be able to really quantify that release feature it helped me save some costs Mm -hmm. Uh, it helped with customer churn or attrition Mm -hmm. or it it helped add net new revenue to the bottom line right if if we didn't do any of those three things and we can prioritize among them based on what, what the company's goals are why are we building it right and so yep. I would say everybody should have that lens that revenue is everybody's business. The company exists for revenue. And it's not yep. just, it does not start with, you know, just looking at sales pipeline every Monday and say, oh, we're building a revenue engine and pipeline forecasting. <laughs> One aspect, CS, you yeah. have to do the same thing. You know, the marketing has the same rigor. And engineering has to have the same rigor. And as a CRO or CEO, you need to look at everything together. Yep. Yep. I love that. I love that. So as we, you know, as we wrap up, I always love to ask this question and I always want to know two things. One, you know, what is the one thing about you that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? Well, I'm a pretty regular guy. So not much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one of the things that people do find it interesting about me is that I decided to go on an entrepreneurship journey when both my girls were ready to go to college. But yeah, they've, seen, they've, they've, my younger one graduates in a week from now. And so, yeah, I've been an empty nester. Oh, congratulations. Uh, so raising three kids, uh, the startup included. So, but other than that, no, I think it's been pretty regular. I think nothing special about me. Just, <laughs> yeah. What about something that you want? The daily grind of stuff. Yeah. Is there something that you want everyone to know about you? Yeah. I think always the lens has always been that I, lo- I love to build things. And so whether it was Microsoft in Singapore or this place, we, we love to build. Customers are our true north star. And I think one thing I always take pride on our team is that nobody gives a shit about our organization structure or forecast. We just need to serve our customers. And That's as long awesome. as they're happy, we're good. That's and awesome. all my customers, you know, I think 
then they probably know it, but we as a team, very customer focused. And that's that's generally been my, my attitude to life. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. And thank you so much for joining me. I really just appreciate, you know, so grateful for your time and just sharing your insights, your expertise. And, you know, every time I record with a guest, I'm always like, oh, I can't wait to go back and listen to everything that we talked about. So I am definitely excited to go back and listen. So thank you so much. No, this is great. This is a good opportunity for us, like after two years to reconnect. You know, I think you're doing a lot, a lot of good things for the ops space. Like I said, they're badly needed. <laughs> badly needed. Like, you know, I sincerely meant that there is no school for ops. Yeah, well, we're starting to teach a lot of courses and there's definitely a lot of content and webinars. So I think folks are, yeah, there's definitely a, a shortage of good information, which is one of the reasons, you know, that has kind of driven me to share. And I've seen a lot of other leaders kind of step up and really share a lot of information as well. So it's it's yeah. great to see, you know, sort of that community. But thank you again for joining oh, me. Appreciate yeah, you. you. Yeah. All right. Thank you.